Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Pullist for new comics on sale May 15th, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent Dan. And I'm Tiger Marcus. And every week we go through all the new comics that are out. We talk about the print issues, the digital stuff, the collection stuff hitting our apps. It's a real fun time. Uh, before we get into the books this week, just want to let you all know that Tucker and I uh, did our second of our special monthly previews. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of announcements, revelations, first looks at art. We've got some House of X, Powers of Ten, some Absolute Carnage, things that you Ooh. can see for the first time through Marvel's The Polis. That's our video version, different from our traditional one. Uh, check that out on Marvel.com, Marvel's YouTube, everywhere else you would check out a Marvel video. Check it out. Tucker. We have to dive into two of our first books. The first being Age of X-Men, Marvelous X-Men number four, written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, art by Marco Faia, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue has everything. Naked <laughs> Colossus, Nature Girl hugging a bear, X-23 smelling smells in her house, which... <laughs> For some reason, I got the biggest kick out of. She's like crawling around her house. Yeah. She's like sniff, 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 yeah. sniff, sniff, yeah. sniff. Like I, something smells off. Right. And like she's getting real annoyed by it. More importantly, the cracks of the rea- this reality yes. are really starting to show in this issue and uh, the next one, as we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just about to, to say something very similar about Age of X-Men Next Gen number four, uh, which is written by Ed Brisson with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, yeah, I, I was just uh, flipping through this issue really quick to make sure it was the one that I remember it as because exactly as you said, it's all starting to really unravel here. This other dimension, this other world, and the kind of everything that's been hidden from the mutants, everything about their past, about this reality is starting to come undone in some big ways. Uh, This book is really interesting because it it balances this kind of youthful tone and team spirit, um, team and teen spirit. I would say. It does smell like <laughs> uh, <teen yeah>. <laughs> And uh, Nature Girl would know. It, it balances that with like some real drama, and I was flipping through specifically to make sure that this is the book um, that as we approach the last few pages, it is dark. Mm-hmm. It is really dark. It's really fascinating to see how this reality is impacting certain people, certain characters, uh, to see how, especially as it starts to come undone, especially as rumors start to spread and maybe become truths that uh, people take some drastic measures in some big ways. There was one last thing I wanted to point out about that book. I found it very fun that Sunfire, who is, Mm -hmm. he's either the dean or he's one of like the head faculty at the school, is in a full suit, but also his mask. Yes. Like his his awesomely designed (laughs) Sunfire mask. I just dug the crap out of that. That was real fun. All right, up next is Amazing Spider-Man number 21. This is part five of Haunted, written by Nick Spencer, art by Gerardo Sandoval, with inks by Gerardo and Victor Nava, with colors by Edgar Delgado and Eric Arseniego, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, one of the things that I really dug about this was how the issue uses the rise language, mm-hmm. like that thing is, you know, it's, it, it harkens back to Craven's Last Stand. It has this, like, very specific connotation, and the way it's used here is, you know, you almost feel the primal, like, 
loud whisper of it yeah. and how it like just gets under your skin. I thought that was really, really uh, ev- evocative throughout this issue and very effective. The art here are some really cool montage pages showing sort of the overwhelming odds that Spidey's up against, which I really dug just how it like portrays this big battle that Spidey's going up against because at one point he's fighting like three or four vermin creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, now they're not – they're kind of clones or duplicate. I don't know right. how they really, you know – Make that, but uh, but the genus and species is <laughs> yeah, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Uh. <laughs> cool, yeah, science. <laughs> also, Sandoval really channels a bit of Todd McFarlane at times mm. in this issue. There's a profile shot of Spider-Man at one point that looks like it's straight out of the '90s, and I am very much here for mm-hmm. it. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of uh, Amazing Spider-Man and art for Amazing Spider-Man, the cat's out of the bag. Big news announced yeah. about artist Patrick Gleason. Yeah. Which is so exciting. Uh, he'll be coming on to the book uh, as well as doing a bunch of other really can't wait uh, stuff uh, here at the House of Ideas. So that is awesome. Yeah, I'm very so. excited. I, I've been a big fan of his work for years. I only met him for the first time a couple months ago, mm. uh, but he's, he's great. And uh, he did he did that great like preview uh, kind of image uh, with a bunch of heroes colored by Marte Gracia. So cool. Yeah. Uh, looks so awesome. All right. Next book this week, we have Black Widow number five, which is the final issue of this limited series. It's written by Jen and Sylvia Sosco with art by Flaviano, colors by Veronica Gandini, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. You know, it's 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 always so fun to read an issue of a story that you know is kind of conceived as beginning, middle, end, a limited series like this. It's it's always so fun to read the final issue, not just to be able to, of course, see where the narrative ends up, but also just to see how the writer chooses to stick the landing, or in this case, the writers choose to stick the landing, and how they, you know, where they choose to leave you, where they kind of tonally kind of choose to send you off, and... and uh, and things like that. So with that in mind, uh, I, I was really excited to read this and uh, I was certainly not disappointed. I, I thought that what I got here was the ultimate commitment to who Black Widow is as a character. It was just like hit that home in such an amazing way, in a way that is super dramatic. There is some really kind of big cinematic feeling sequences here that I really, really love, but also there's real heart to it in a really fascinating way. And I think that's a really cool element that the Saskas are getting at here, not in a uh, in a way that's kind of a little more inferred than direct, although there's kind of a mixture of both about like how Black Widow has, uh, she's like the deadliest assassin in the world, but at the same time, you know, she has enormous heart Uh, A lot of the time she has really righteous reasons for doing what she does. And there's kind of no great reason for that because of her background, her personal history. You know, she doesn't come tethered to anything, any like family specifically. She didn't grow up in like a a warm setting or anything like that. So it doesn't, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. And that's why we love this character so much because, you know, we just, we want to root for her all the way through. There's a scene specifically at the end of this issue that involves another character. I don't want to talk about who, but that I really, really enjoyed. I thought it captured their relationship really beautifully. The struggle, the kind of necessary secrets that need to be kept, 
how you know we wish the status quo could be changed, but some things can't be changed. Some difficulties need to be had. Uh, I thought it was really, really wonderful. And then the, as we get down to the final few panels, I thought that was really great as well. Yeah, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out about Flaviano's yeah. work here, particularly um, when Natasha sort of puts a bunch of the pieces together mm-hmm. towards the beginning of the book. There's this panel of her walking off like determined and ready to take care of some business. And the way it's drawn, there's, you know, she's um, like walking off cloaked mostly in shadow, but the light shines on her eyes. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's just her eyes scream murder. Right. And, you know, like she is ready. She Vengeance yeah. is here. Yeah. And, you know, it feels like a great, you know, like a martial arts you know, like movie tactic mm-hmm, or, you know, like Tarantino aping yeah. some of that stuff, you know, like the classic Kung Fu movies, using those things for very evocative reasons and it works so, so well here. And then there's another thing with eyes again, later the the bad guy and he's like looking at a computer screen and he's got his glasses on and he's like looking at all the money that he's mm-hmm. amassing, like the numbers are reflected in his glasses and his grin on his face. It just like amps up that greed right. factor for him and how, like, gross he is. I love that. Yeah. Uh, one of the – you know, I've talked about this book uh, vociferously over the you know the last couple of months. I think the thing that I, I would say most importantly about this series is that it feels like it adds to Black Widow's yeah. mythos, yeah. her overall character and her larger story. And as a point that, like, I would pinpoint as, like, this is an incredible character – moment for her in her 50 years of history this mm. is one that i would shine a light on which is a very it's a true feat all right up next is daredevil number five written by ya boy chip Zdarsky, art by marco Caquetto, with colors by sunny go uh vc's clayton cowles on the letters so last issue was daredevil versus punisher and daredevil matt walked out he grabbed a t-shirt because mm-hmm. he you know his nips were getting chilly and he <laughs> needed something to cover him and it happened to be punisher's skull t-shirt mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really cool look it's like, really cool daredevil wearing the skull is is great visually for us reading but it's got to be terrifying if you are someone in this like a bad guy yeah. who sees daredevil who is already kind of messed up looking yeah, and, yeah. And, and terrifying because yeah. he's got, you know, the mask and the, the horns and everything. Then he's got Punisher's skull. It's like, get out. Yeah. Run as fast as you can. Um, and, you know, when he's wearing the shirt, there's a moment in this issue where it's brought up that he's wearing it, which I thought was really cool. I'm not going to mm-hmm. spoil it, but it involves other characters. And it made me really happy. Um, okay, next up we have Giant Man number one. Drawn by Marco Castiello, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettered by VC's Joe Sabino. Tucker, yes. before you proceed any further, yes. did you look at the cover? Did I? I don't know. I think I posted the cover to Marvel.com when it was announced. This one? Yes. Yes. Do you notice the very tiny text under the title, under the logo? Oh, my God. I didn't notice that. Nope. The text says, uh, look at these absolute units. <laughs> that is so funny. And so I like I was looking at it and I was, I I did this I like I died. I was laughing as I was reading this and I immediately looked to see who the editor was on this book. Look at who the editor is. It is 
Chris Robinson. Chris Robinson. <laughs> and I oh, man. posted it to my Instagram. And I was like, Chris Robinson, did you do this? And he said, yes. <laughs> that is the greatest. Yep. Like that makes me, I would go out and buy this issue for that alone. Yeah. That is so funny. Yep. Uh, it is tremendous. And I. It, it's one of those things that's so small. You yeah, didn't even catch it. I didn't it, even notice it. But, uh, and I don't even know if it was on the promo versions right. of the art, but on the full <laughs> printed version, it just cemented it as one of oh, my favorite Oh, man. Bits. That is awesome. Oh, that's like pick of the week worthy. That's so good. Okay. This issue is so much fun. It involves Freya kind of emerging from uh, War of the Realms to come across and send this quartet on a secret mission to slay some frost giants. It's such a great concept. And uh, it's executed so wonderfully. It's Leah Williams, uh, and you know we know that she has like one of the sharpest wits around. She's so clever. She's such a great writer, and so I think you know this is like such a perfect book for Leah to write because there's just so much opportunity for not just drama and action. But there really is, of course. It's like really huge action, but also like. There's so many avenues for humor and for these wonderful moments, like when the, the this squad puts on like blue paint and they all kind of dress up as frost giants. I really am a huge fan of Leah's writing, and I just want to see her tackle more and more stuff. So to to get this, um, and as well tie it into. Uh, all the great stuff happening in War of the Realms was just a dang delight. Uh, and I'm already so excited for number two. And now I'm really curious if there's going to be a more tiny font text on the cover of the next one. Have to hit up Chris. Oh, man. That's going to make me laugh for like the next three days. Thought you That's so it. funny. Yeah. All right. Up next is Guardians of the Galaxy number five. This is part five of the final gauntlet written by donny cates art by jeff shaw colors by david curiel and letters by vcs Corey pettit and it is my first pick of the week yeah uh this is this is really really interesting there are like at least three or four really big kind of game-changing moments that happen in this issue so it's really a big roller coaster ride as you go along there's really big stuff that happens with star lord there's big stuff that happens with gamora that relationship continues to be tested and and pulled at the seams to to breaking point given the the hugely consequential nature of what's going down here uh man this is a minefield the I know. Do, do you think really I can? Tough. I can't say the thing, right? The, no, no. We okay. shouldn't say anything. Yeah, there's yeah. so many the thing. things we can't say. You know, like there's a character who shows up, yeah. sort of in the beginning that has this great entrance. Yeah. But like, I don't want to. <laughs> Maybe that. I shouldn't have picked it. Maybe I should just be like, "This is my pick of the week." All right, next book. Yeah, uh, it, it's so good. <laughs> it, it's so good. Um, like, I, I think part of why I I also would have picked this is just that sense of. The book is almost like waves crashing, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, you get this huge moment splash and then it recedes for a second. Everybody, you know, like there's the dealing with that. Yeah. And then it's just another one. And it's sort of this wonderful, you know, flow of go, go, go. Yeah. Where you get those bits. And even when you're you're shifting to different scenes and different characters, you know, like there's a moment when Gamora, she's in chains 
and she realizes the horror of what she's walked into and how that like that hor- that scene of her realizing yeah. is like the ebb yes. down and then it like comes back up again over the next couple pages where it's just mayhem mm-hmm. and you get to big revelations in those moments and man it's so good yeah it's it's really really wonderful look look it's it's um you know it's Donnie and Jeff uh you know the 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 creative duo that uh, kind of made a huge splash over a year ago with the Thanos Wind story. So we know that, you know, uh, that this team can can do huge cosmic tales in, in amazingly dramatic ways. Uh, uh, and, uh, and that is absolutely the case here. I'll just say this is a hugely consequential issue for the series. A lot happens. This is a real game changer if you're reading this series absolutely pick this one up all right awesome next up we have immortal hulk number 17 which is written by the great al ewing pencils by the great joe bennett inks by the great roy jose colors by the great paul mount sand letters by the great vcs Corey pettit and it is oh, my oh boy first pick of the week <laughs> oh boy. Uh, i remember i had read this last week yes and i was so enthralled by it that I was like, I had to talk to you about yeah. it, and just like, like you have to read this. Book. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, when I when I was going through and and then remembered that this was in this week's stack, I got so excited yeah. to to dive in and woo. Oh man, woo. Um, so we we kind of have to get into some spoilers from previous issues to right. talk about this issue. So if you haven't read the last issue or a couple of issues of Immortal Hulk, fast forward right now. Like, yeah. seriously, I don't want – this is a book that I don't want anybody to be spoiled for. But yeah. it's also a book, like, if you are not reading it as it comes out, you're missing yeah. – like, this is that, like – this is not a book you just wait and binge. Yeah. This is a book you get every it's, first thing every week. If, if this isn't that, then literally nothing is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, how do you get yeah. – like, yeah. I, yeah, I don't even understand. Anyway, so uh, now you've fast-forwarded. Uh, you, you were going to fast-forward. If you haven't, here we go. We've separated the weed from the chaff. Ah! Here we go. Uh, so we've been opening many of the issues of the series with this philosophical quote, something mm-hmm. heady. This one opens with this badass, ass-kicking quote from the 1953 movie, The Wild One. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really good. Can you open that quote? Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Here we go. It's... Nobody tells me what to do. You keep needling me, and if I want to, I'm going to take this joint apart, and you're not going to know what hit you. John Paxton and Ben Matt out of the wild one. It's just and like so that is so indicative of the like, the shift yes. that we have for Bruce Banner because he's not the Devil Hulk, he's not you know the Green Hulk, he's not all these things. Now we've got Joe Fix It. Joe Fix It, which is so cool, but it's it it is, but it isn't Joe, which yes. is really neat. It's 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 bonkers to me. So it's Joe's brains and attitude and guile, but in Bruce's body. Mm-hmm. It's not a massive Hulk. His eye color has changed to gray. All his mannerisms and his like his way of being have all shifted, even though he's not you know, big and gray like Joe. So Joe, if you don't know, Joe Fixit was a persona that the Hulk adopted in the 80s. He is not quite as strong as the Green Hulk. It was, you know, he, as we've seen over, you know, through time, Hulk has shifted, has changed, his body has morphed, all these different things. With it, his personalities have changed. So he's much smarter, more cynical, more selfish 
than you know your traditional Green Hulk. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad guy, but he's not a hero. Yeah. You know, during the initial Joe Fixit time, he was an enforcer working in Las Vegas. Uh, he got to wear cool suits. <laughs> he had some fun adventures, uh, but he was really just you know like figuring himself out and doing it for you know doing it for him. So it was a really cool angle for the Hulk. This personality comes out in this issue to help Bruce survive Bushwhacker. Mm-hmm. Bushwhacker is the gnarly villain that we've been you know following through, whose arm morphs into different types of guns. Really cool. Alan, um, Joe have used him really really well. Yeah. It's like sleazy, gross, like your sort of prototypical jerk assassin, very cocky, and we'll see what happens to him. Yeah. It's a really cool cat and mouse thing for a bit until Joe turns the tables. Right. Uh, and it leads to one of the wildest, grossest, coolest double page spreads in this run, in comics, period. Maybe the most of all those yeah. things, which is saying a lot. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> this book- from issue one has shown us the power that this team has with those big splashes. And this one is like a nightmare. Yeah. A beautiful nightmare. It's wonderful body horror, messed up, you know, taking Cronenberg and like, Mm -hmm. you know, Geiger and like doing all kinds of weird stuff. And it's gorgeous. Um, But what's coming is maybe more awful and horrifying and amazing. And it's something that at the last editorial retreat, Al Ewing explained, you know, part of his plan. He explained all his plans for Mm -hmm. Immortal Hulk, but he specifically touched on something you'll see in this issue. And the, like when he described it, I remember coming out and being like, guys, guys, this is what (laughs) telling people is like, this is the thing. And everybody went, Oh yeah, it was great. I can't wait for everybody to read this issue. So the the way that the, that the, this series has been structured literally on the pages where um, it starts with a quote, um, just like on a black page, and then it ends with the issue title, um, it, the, the kind of final page of every one of, uh, of this uh, series is like three quarters kind of, you know, Joe Bennett, uh, and then the bottom is the name of the issue, uh, and then the credits. And uh, that adds so much. It's incredible because Al ties it into the narrative in a way that it's like it's it's kind of it's not just like a title card. It's also kind of infused in the dialogue sometimes or in the story. Yeah. So good. All right. On to Ironheart number six, written by Evel Ewing, art by Kevin Labranda, colors by Matt Mila, letters and production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, this one is super fun. It's a uh, Riri and Miles team-up issue mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of really neat twists. Feels like the thing that I loved about this one is that it feels wonderfully classic to me. It yeah. felt like in, in like a modern slash classic Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. It's you know you got deep character-driven issue. With these two characters who have connections but haven't really connected a ton, um, it ties to things happening with them and their other stories. It feels really key to who each of those characters are, and then they get wrapped up in this big weird mystery. There's jokes, there's feelings. You have a really cool villain, sweet you know like combo moves together. Mm-hmm. I, I really dug it. It was a lot of fun. This was nearly one of my picks. Um, watching all this come together, and there's there's a mechanic in here. I don't want to spoil it. But there's a mechanic that I was like, oh, this is like you get a little almost bottle episode type issue here. And it is so perfectly done. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, next up we have Old Man Quill number five. It's written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, I've been really loving the Western vibes of of the Guardians in the Wastelands. I think it works so perfectly. They're they're an outlaw crew, so it makes perfect sense that uh, the you know that this entire book would lean into that tone. At the same time. This issue adds uh, so much in terms of cosmic influence, uh, in terms of the characters that we may or may not have seen show up in the Wastelands before, uh, kind of expanding that universe uh, a little bit in really, really interesting ways. But uh, overall, what I love most about it is just it's, you know, the Guardians are a bunch of misfits, a bunch of outlaws. Uh, They get themselves into trouble all the time, and then it's just about finding their way out. Uh, and this issue, uh, really is, uh, about that, uh, for me, uh, it, it, it works so wonderfully in this kind of genre mashup way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, continues the, the uh, the tale in, in a really, really interesting way. Curious about those last few pages. Yeah. Uh, all right. Up next is Spider-Man life story. Number three, Written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Frank Darmada, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And it's my second pick of the week. <laughs> Ding. Um, uh, uh, yeah, this is... Look, in only, what, three issues now? The standard has been set so high for this series. I was so excited just at the concept of it right at, at the beginning of just, like, one, telling Peter Parker's story in you know, chronological order, uh, you know, as if he ra- aged in real time. And we're really starting to feel the impact of that, I felt, in in this issue, specifically the aging of Peter Parker. Which, yes. Yeah. But I was doing the math. He's like 37 here. Yeah. I'm like, I'm 38. <laughs> I, you feel okay. I feel fine. I've ran three miles and it's the, I, <laughs> like, I had a personal record this morning. Like, wow. he's going to be fine. He's okay. He's yeah. doing it. I, I'm not getting beaten up right. by a supervillain, so I <laughs> guess it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, there's no exaggerating what a great five o'clock shadow can do to show how really down and out a character is. <laughs> um, this issue covers quite a bit of ground uh, in terms of Spider-Man history and lore, but uh, that, that's what most fascinated me. And again, this is kind of spoiler territory, so I don't want to say too much. Um, but uh, some what's been really fun to see Chip do, and Chip, uh, you know, I, I'm such a huge fan of his. But it's been really fun to see him just be super bold in the choices that he's making in this consequential kind of linear story. I mean, and the choices between Peter and MJ and their family, the way that you know, now that we're seeing a story where we're going through the years with this character, where we're actually seeing all of this add up uh, in a way uh, to lean into the uh, idea that this is, you know, time has taken its toll already even uh, is so fascinating. And I think done really well. It's one of those questions that I feel like, you know, Chip likely had Uh, right at the start of this series, which was like, you know, if we're going to tell this story, you know, through the years, then we need to show the impact of those years. Uh, And so I thought that was, you know, mixed into the story in a really, really wonderful way. But to see 
this story and to specifically it was so exciting to see how the 1980s influence thinking of Secret Wars specifically came into this story because it's such an iconic time for the character and that's a really fun thing to be able to lean into uh, sure for Chip and, and Mark Bagley alike yeah there some you know you were talking about the bold choices that Chip makes yeah and I was just thinking of you know like the world building that mm-hmm. goes on in this book is so fascinating to yeah. me and so smart and so cool and like has me like starving for more yeah. I, I want i just want to sit have like sit down with chip and like okay so what did you what what happens here right what, what's going on with these characters over here and there's like one line that spidey says because he's been gone for five weeks mm-hmm. secret wars is five weeks out of his life during that time so much has sort of changed in the world um i don't want to get into it but he he says um you know he's been gone for three weeks at one point and he comes out uh you know he, Three weeks, as the narration goes, he finally comes out at the end of this five weeks, and he says, two more weeks go by as gods fight gods, and I witness unimaginable things. Yeah. And, like, what are these things, and how does that affect him? And he comes out, and it's just fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's so cool because when you put it that way, you're so right because, like, the reverberations of everything that have happened in the first two issues and in Spidey's past – you have to see them to their natural conclusion. You have to like build the world that you know has ex- seen these things. You have to build Peter uh, as someone that has dealt with these things. And you kind of have to reinvent what planet Earth is to him in a really interesting way. Yeah. Um, in a way that like both is the Peter Parker status quo, but also isn't at all in any way that we've seen before. Up next is Star Wars number 66. It is part five of The Scourging of Shoe to Run. And it is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Angel Anzueta, colors by Guru Effects, letters by VCs Clayton Carrolls, and a gorgeous cover by Gerald Parel. Uh, this one, whew, I blazed through this one because I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my mm-hmm. God, because you're getting to the end of this big story yeah. of like these two factions. And you, especially in this issue, you see how Leia and Queen Trios are two sides of the same coin. Mm, mm-hmm. And they have this conversation. They actually have a really cool fight and battle and like their ideologies sort of helix, you know, right. with each other. Yes. They, they diverge, but they come together and they diverge. And how that affects the outcome of this issue is fascinating. And, uh, man, I, I love the crap out of it. Awesome. Uh, okay, next up is Star Wars Age of Rebellion, Lando Calrissian, number one. It's written by Greg Pak, with art by Matteo Bufagni, colors by Tom Rabon and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this is so much fun. Uh, we recently had an interview on Marvel.com with Greg where he talked about everything in these Age of Rebellion stories that he's doing, uh, as well as hinting a little bit at what's uh, to come in the main series when he jumps on board in a, in a couple issues. But this is so much fun because, you know, like he said in the interview, each of these one-shot stories is his opportunity to just get to the heart of each character and, and really just tell a story that encapsulates who they are, how they operate, and kind of what their, their central conflict is or things like that. And this is so much fun because we get to see Lando be the Baron Administrator of Cloud City. We get to see him dealing with that job and and all, everything that comes with it. it it alludes i think in a wonderful way to uh, a specific line from empire strikes back when han uh and leia and chewie and the gang show up on cloud city and they 
are walking through the halls of of the city with Lando, and Lando's talking about I've dealt with nah, 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 and disputes and blah blah blah, all these things. It gets it tells that story, yeah, uh, and it's really really wonderful. It gets to the heart of Lando's craftiness of how he deals with things, and crucially, buried the lead, we get a ton of Lobot. Uh, low bot, low bot, low bot, uh, and uh, and uh, it's so fun to see them interact, to see their their link, to see uh, how they work together. It's great. Yeah. Also, just shining a light on the how much like you know how much of a heart of gold Lando yes. has that you know is he's got all this swagger, but underneath it, he's he wants to do the right thing. Good guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, which I like. All right, up next is Star Wars Tie Fighter number. Two, this is written by Jody Hauser. There's two stories in here. One uh, art by Rohe Antonio and the other by Josh Kassara with colors by Arif Prianto on the first, Niraj Minon on the second, and VC's Joe Caramagna on the lettering. The first one really tells a story about Squadron 5, the Shadow Wing, uh, and they're dealing with some stuff within the Empire and, and some big chaos for them. It's a good story. But I, I wanted to really highlight the backup here, which is about Tamu and Lighten, the brothers with those like skull markings, yes. that's skull tattoos from the Han Solo cadet series. Mm-hmm. It shines a light on how some of the folks in the Empire are not, they're not as bad as, you know, everything we think about the Empire. And sure, that's going to be the case. But like, Really like seeing uh, the human side of who these people are. There's this adorable conversation between these brothers, this family in the middle of a war, um, and what that does to them and uh, you know around them is. I thought that was really great. Jody crushing that one. Totally. I think that's an appropriate place to to jump to to the next book, which is Uncanny X Men number eighteen. That this kind of family in the middle of a war, everything that does to the family, it definitely relevant here. This issue is written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils by Carlos Vila, inks by Juan Velasco and Craig Young, uh, colors by Guru EFX and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, we, I think, seeing the, the impacts of everything that's going on, seeing how this group rallies despite everything that's happened to them, despite all the complications, despite everything they're up against, is always so heartening and so wonderful to see there's some huge action in this issue some really rough stuff at at times but uh there is something really particularly awesome that goes down in here involving a character that i believe i've interviewed matt before and he said is one of his favorites and so that was super exciting to see that come and influence things in a bigger and bigger way but yeah great stuff of course strength of strength on uncanny it's a grim one, though. Yeah. Uh, all right. While there's some grim stuff, there's also some big hope in War of the Realms number four, which is my second pick of the week. This is chapter four, The Stand at the Black Bridge. Ooh. So metal. That is like, oh, man, I love it so much. It's written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Russell Dodderman, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by Joe Sabino from Virtual Calligraphy. If you are caught up, on the book, uh, which I'm sure I hope you are, mm-hmm. I suggest you make sure you're also listening to This Week in Marvel, as last week's episode, number 393, includes a discussion of the story through issue number three with Jason Russell and Matt. So it's really some fun bonus behind the scenes stuff. Uh, but for number four, 
you know, with this title, we saw that Freya was leading the group at the Black Bifrost. That was what was going on last mm-hmm. issue. We got this vision of her sort of dark Freya. Uh, and, you know, here we see full-on dark Freya. She's going full mayhem, powered up with dark magics, a dark weapon, making her stand alone up to a point. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, I, I no spoilers. I really am trying my best to get away from spoilers, but this con- this series continues to hammer home those huge jump up and cheer moments, the reunions, the sacrifices, the revelations, the quips. I say with, you know, no hyperbole, this is the Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame of the comics in many ways. Right. You know what I mean? Like that, the way you like, ah, you get so yeah. excited. Like I remember being in a screening with fans and just they're throwing up their arms. And mm-hmm. here I, I've had those feelings, those moments, every single issue. It's the the highest compliment I can give to, you know, comparing these two together because they are sort of my favorites of, of the things that we get to do. There's baller character designs from Russell Dodderman in the back, a whole montage of army building in this sort of counterattack in the story. There's this just like tons and tons of incredible moments. I'm trying to, again, be increasingly yeah. vague here because – there's something just wild and spoilery on just about every page in the in the same vein of that Guardians of the Galaxy where you've got these waves. Yeah. This is, I don't know, it's not even like waves. It's just like every panel, every page is Thor just hammering home. It's just yes. like, goof, 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 goof. And, and it really can't be said enough. I, I, literally, as I had this book in my hands reading it, I it just came to my mind just like, nothing looks like this book nothing looks like this series it literally like lights up your face as you're reading it it is like it's just such a striking book it's just so amazing such good stuff okay next up we have war of the realms spider-man and the league of realms number one it's written by sean ryan with Art by Nico Leon, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is so much fun because we're seeing the global impact of War of the Realms. And this one takes place after War of the Realms number four. That's an important thing because we talked about Giant Man. That took place after number two. This one takes place after number four. Just something to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so fun to see, uh, in this case, Spider-Man and a crew of heroes uh, off in Nigeria uh, dealing again with the impacts of the War of the Realms. It's an amazing combination of so much stuff of, uh, you know, as Guardian drama, of Peter Parker humor, of again getting to know these locales that we don't very often get to see uh, and how they're impacting these things. That's what's so much fun about War of the Realms for me is because it's truly a global scale event. Uh, and so we get to visit a ton of different places. We get to see how, like in this case, you know, War of the Realms is impacting Nigeria to see Spidey team up with the people that live there and, and see how they're impacted and, and, and work with them. It's it's really great and a great element of all of these tie-in series. Also, you have Spider-Man driving a Jeep full of yeah. warriors from across the realms, yeah. <laughs> uh, including Sir Ivory Honeyshot, who is yeah. one of my favorites. All right, last book of the week is War of the Realms Strike Force, The War Avengers, number one, written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam, drawn by Kim Jacinto and Ario Anunditi, with colors by Java Tartaglia and Felipe Sobrero, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Now, this one takes place essentially during War of the Realms 1, 2, and 3. It's mm. sort of, you can read it after, I would read it after number 3, but there's bits and pieces here that, you know, you could thread through those issues. And it's it's cool. It's, you know, you have Carol leading a War Avengers team with Weapon H, Black Widow, Winter Soldier, Sif, Captain Britain, Deadpool, and Venom. It's a, such a cool squad. Yeah. And still, they're not enough. 
if you are caught up, you know what happens with Venom, but still these characters fight. Uh, there's some really neat between the panel stuff from early in, in War of the Realms here. Uh, I think it was in issue number one or two, um, some stuff that we saw here, especially with the heroes of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just great moments here that I uh, tickle me pink. Totally. All right. Collections on sale this week include Amazing Spider-Man, Epic Collection, Assassination, uh, Captain Marvel, Star Force, Immortal Hulk, Volume 3, Hulk in Hell, Invincible Iron Man, Masterworks, Volume 12, League of Legends, Ash, War Mother, Star Wars, Age of Republic Heroes, and Star Wars, Han Solo, Imperial Cadet. All right, so uh, that's all the uh, the collections and stuff. There's a bunch of things hitting the apps, but I wanted to point out a couple of classic things hitting Marvel Unlimited. Bunch of old early 1980s issues of Savage She-Hulk, uh, which are you know it's pretty cool stuff. Nice. It's it's weird. It's a different sort of version of Shulky, uh, but <laughs> there's tons of other stuff on Marvel Unlimited. We'll make sure to have full list for you on Marvel.com, and uh, that's it. That's it. We did it. Whew. Oh, uh, one thing, reminder, again, the video version of Marvel's The Polis this week is yes. uh, a preview of what's coming in August. We have some revelations, some big fun stuff that we are announcing for the first time. Make sure you check that out. It'll be on you know Marvel.com. We'll, we'll share it out nice. for you. Until next week, I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.